What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I'm joined by my co-host Ben. Thanks Drew. Each episode we will sample beers both local and beyond while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Drew and I will sample beer from Norfolk's Divots Brewery. We'll share our thoughts on the Nebraska Northwestern game. And we'll look ahead to the battle of the 1997 national champions as Nebraska takes on Michigan at home under the lights. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, last week you dropped a Marcus Aurelius quote on us very early on in the episode, and I wanted to drop an equally important philosopher, a quote from him, and it's from the great Gene Wilder. And <laughs> in Willy Wonka, he said, we have so little to do in so much time. Stop. Wait. Reverse that. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. We have an excellent game yes. to look into. Uh, but before we really dive into that, let's get our disclaimer out of the way. It was just one game. Uh huh. It was only one game. Uh huh. Let's not let's not overinflate our expectations. Gotta pump the brakes just a little bit. It was just one game. And it was Northwestern. It was Northwestern. But man, it was a good. It was game. such a good game. <laughs> so as we talk about that, and as you guys are listening to this, know that we know it was just one game. But that ain't going to stop us <laughs> from feeling like we're going to defeat everyone. Right. And it shouldn't because this is what being a fan of a team is all about. Yeah. This is a fan podcast. Yeah. Not a not a parade pisser podcast. <laughs> so we're going to revel in it. We're going to take some uncautious optimism and we're going to move that forward as, as we talk about Nebraska. So yeah. there's our disclaimer. We know. We know we're 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 not delusional. Yeah, but we are going to allow we're ourselves. Just gonna, we're just going to put it on the record how delusional we are. <laughs> but just know that we're not. Yeah. So before we start talking about the Nebraska Northwestern matchup, let's get into the beers that we have in front of us from Divots Brewery in Norfolk, Nebraska. And I've got a nice little profile on Divots for you. So Drew, why don't you sit back, relax, and let's learn about Divots. Let's. So profiling Divots Brewery isn't as easy as just telling the history of a brewery. We have to tell the history of the Donna Herrick Empire. 
In 2001, Norfolk resident Donna Herrick found herself looking to start a business that would benefit the people of Northeast Nebraska. Many ideas were being bounced around, including a Harley-Davidson franchise and a diesel truck repair shop. Now, Donna eventually settled on a conference center for the community after hearing how friends in the area struggled to find a sizable space to hold their weddings. The Divitz Conference Center opened its doors in May of 2002 and consisted of a 1,500-square-foot sports bar, a small golf shop, an 18-hole miniature golf course, a driving range, and outdoor volleyball courts. Needless to say, Divitz was what the community was looking for. By 2005, only three years later, the conference center expanded through the addition of a standalone restaurant, four new volleyball courts, two more conference venues, and a 70-room lodge. Dang. Good for them, yeah. Since then, countless expansions have taken place uh, to what is known as the Devent Center, but we don't we, we aren't TripAdvisor here, okay? We're here to talk about beer, and to do that, we need to jump all the way to 2014. In 2014, Bill Wilkinson, then executive chef at the Conference Center Sandbar, sold Herrick on adding a microbrewery to the business's portfolio. Herrick, who had been kicking the idea around for a few years, immediately agreed. She admitted she wasn't a beer drinker, but her palate changed after experiencing the freshness that came with owning a microbrewery. So Divitz began brewing on a single-barrel system, which was able to produce 31 gallons at a time. They started their operation with a rotation of five beers, three standards, and two rotating. Quote, we'll brew one batch at a time. When it's gone, it's gone, Wilkinson said of the rotational beer. If it's a real hit, maybe it will get into the regular rotation. That gives us an opportunity to explore and be creative. So whatever happened to Divitz Brewery after their initial launch? Well, let's fast forward again another time, jump to 2017, when Divitz hired Jeremy Kirby to take over as brewmaster. Kirby, originally from Battle Creek, worked from 2009 to 2012 at Gottberg Brew Pub in Columbus before moving to Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia, to oversee the development and distribution of Sunken City Brewing Company. After successfully launching the brewing and distribution of the 25-barrel canning facility and spending four years in Virginia, Kirby was ready to move closer to home. So Kirby received a brewmaster diploma in Berlin, Germany. He was renowned among his peers for his technical mastery. Kirby's experience allows him to focus on creativity and innovation. Upon his arrival in Norfolk, Kirby released small batch beers regularly as a way to gauge the preferences of area enthusiasts and satisfy the loyal following, as well as recruit new patrons to experience the flavor profiles in craft beer. You might be asking yourself if that was a good move for Divots to bring in Jeremy Kirby, and I'm here to tell you that clearly Donna Herrick doesn't know how to make mistakes. So this past August, plans were shared with the Madison County Board of Commissioners who voted 3-0 in approval for a taproom and brewery west of Norfolk. Divots Brewery is expanding. Their goal is to offer a brewery slash taproom experience where more of the focus can be on the beer and the community. Not only would they share with Norfolk, but they intend to can and share with all of us too. But all this success doesn't happen without one woman looking to start a business that would benefit her community. When asked about her excitement on the expansion project, Donna said, quote, not only do we hope to enrich the lives and make it another option for the people in the community, hopefully it will draw in more tourism and get more people of all ages back into the area. From the sounds of it, that will not be a problem. And that is your introduction to Divots Brewery. Awesome. What a great history. Another example of somebody who wants to just do right by their community. And another example of somebody who travels outside the state and comes back home and brings back that, that knowledge and, and we all get to partake. Drew, why don't you tell us about what we are drinking from Divots? We're drinking Donna's Raspberry Pilsner, 
clocks in at 5.2% alcohol by volume. It's a light and sweet fruity pilsner. You know, we're, we're both really impressed by this one. The aroma right off of the top kind of catches your attention. Um, and then the taste too. Just a great balance between raspberry, like fresh raspberry, yeah. and then the beer itself, that Pilsner, um, which we talked about in the last episode about Pilsner being kind of like the beer of beers. It needs to be clean. It needs to be balanced. And so when you're adding in this new element with the fruit and the raspberry, you know, you can go really wrong. You can go really overpowering, but they've done a great job here of keeping that balance and adding a new impressive note. Yeah. If I was going to go out on a limb and guess how they're getting the raspberry flavor into the beer, I'm going to say they're using either real raspberries that they have fresh or a real raspberry puree or something that's a real raspberry. That's not an artificial raspberry flavor you're getting. Yeah. What you're going to get is the grassy notes of a fresh raspberry, a little bit of the sweetness, a really clean flavor of the raspberry. But this is this to me tastes like a raspberry iced tea. Mm-hmm. It has that cleanness, that refreshing and the raspberry is not, ooh, that's sour and too sweet, kind of puckery raspberry. It's just this refreshing, easy sipper. Yes, I agree. I could honestly say this is one of my favorite fruit beers I've ever had. Wow. This is, and again, I've, you know, I've said it before, like, this is not my style. I, you know, for whatever reason, just adding fruit to beer doesn't fit my palate. This one almost blows me away. Really? Um, yeah, to a point where I kind of wish we had more. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> well, you, can just, finish, you can finish the crawler. It's so, okay, well, thank you. That's very yeah. kind of you. Yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to like pull me, pull my arm to get me to do I it. I won't pull um, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, it's a, it is, it's just such a good, refreshing, clean, balanced beer. Yeah, it's uh, a good start. It makes me looking forward to what we have next from Divots. Absolutely. I so agree. that's Divots for you guys. We found their beer at Local in Millard. And look for them canning soon. Or if you're in the Norfolk area, you have to stop in, hit up their tap room inside their bar and grill, play around a sand volleyball, have some fun while you're out there because it's a special spot for Norfolk. Shall we dive into Northwestern, Drew? Absolutely. Let's do this. Okay. I'm excited. So Nebraska beat Northwestern with a final score of 56 to 7. That's the end. That's, That's it. The it's end. NWL. And it was a true 56 to 7. Like there's no hidden anything in there. That was a, a legit, honest beatdown. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you want to start? I will start with the, these two words. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Yes. Okay. That was the most points we've scored against a conference opponent in the Big Ten. Largest margin of victory. And we we know it was Northwestern, and it's an atypically bad Northwestern team, especially on defense. Nebraska and Northwestern have an average point margin of only 6.2 points between them since Nebraska joined the Big Ten in 2011. That's going to change. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to get inflated just a a touch. We expected, I think we expected to win. We felt comfortable going into this one. I think most people probably did just based on where these two teams stand this year. But there was still that feeling in the back of your mind like, okay, Northwestern and Nebraska, we play close. And this is just the sort of game where Nebraska... You know, those mistakes that we've been seeing all year are going to come up and maybe bite them a few times. And it just didn't happen. Every time something good happened, were you looking for yellow? Because I was looking for yellow. Yes. Every time there was a big play or a big hole uh, for the running game or something, I was like, oh, where's the holding? Where's the pass interference? Where's the, you know, where's the pick play? Where where am I? What am I not seeing? Yeah, it was even when Nebraska got up, you know, 28 to 7, 21 nothing, 28 7. They'd built this comfortable lead. Offense was clicking. Defense looked like it was playing, you know, really well outside of a couple of drives. There was still that feeling of when is it? When is Northwestern yeah. going to 
get back into this thing. I was going to ask you, when did you feel comfortable? After halftime. After half with Xavier Betts touchdown? Yeah. No, yeah. I, you know what? And maybe even right before that. Probably probably the last score before halftime. When they had when they put under it two in minutes. Five, seven. Yeah. yeah. That was probably it. Because even, yeah, 21 nothing with Northwestern driving and scoring. A pretty easy touchdown. You know, the defense lost their energy on that drive. And um, you could feel, you could really feel that dip. And then it was 28 to seven. You know, Nebraska's offense came back, answered that touchdown with their own. But even then, here comes Northwestern right down again. It looks like it's going to be 28 to 14. I think that fumble that Thomas and Jojo Doman got in on, that was probably the game, play of the game, the yeah. game changer. That took the wind out of Northwestern's sails. It, yeah, I think that was what, what kind of broke them. And it also revitalized that defense. And then, yeah, Nebraska put it away once it was 35 to 7. Sure. So. so let's move into our individual breakdowns. And we'll start off like we always do with special teams. Drew, what are your thoughts on special teams? Here's what I've got this week. Okay. We should feel really good about special teams, and we probably can because they didn't do anything this game. I have them down as the Tyrion Lannister of Nebraska football. They are the the ugly child that gets hidden and shunned away. Okay. So you're part of the problem on Game of Thrones if you think Tyrion Lannister is the ugly child, but that's fine. We don't need to get into the Game of Thrones. (laughs) From from the perspective of his father, oh, okay. I like Tyrion Lannister as a character. Okay, anyway. we'll say that next time. That this is from the perspective of Tywin Lannister. Oh, okay, that it's not that, just that your needs perspective. To be more clear. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, they had they had Nebraska had no kick returns. They had no punt returns. They had no field goal attempts. Culp was eight of eight on PATs, which yep. was good to see. And they only had one punt. And holy shit, again, what a punt! Yeah, I wrote down that Nebraska averaged 84 yards per punt. <laughs> And that's a true stat. That's an It honest, really is. Yeah. But to punt from your own end zone and to flip the field. Completely. What a flip. Yes. Yeah. And so that was kind of the, maybe the recipe for success moving forward. Just limit how often your special teams is on the field and also don't make them have to do anything special. All you have to do is just. Make them just teams. Just be teams. Yeah. Just be part of the team. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I really had that you didn't touch on was Oliver Martin cleanly fielding and fair catching every punt was huge. And when we get to MVP of the game, that's actually, I'm going to reveal one of the two that I have right now. Oliver Martin's one of my MVPs because without him cleanly catching all of those punts, Nebraska's offense can't go to work. Yes. Also, I will just attack on, not to like shoot down your MVP, but like that's, that's just the basic, that's like the basic part of the job. If you're catching punts catch the punt like yeah i almost had the offensive line as my mvp for this game yeah but they did their job sure you don't get you don't get mvps for just doing your job you get it for going above and beyond sure it's just that it's been so bad in those areas that when they do their job it'll it it blows your mind i still stand behind what i said with oliver martin being an mvp yeah i'm not taking that away from you i'm not taking that feels like you are I'm just saying like that's what I did have that moment where it was like, yeah, I want to you want to give MVPs to these, you know, these guys or, you know, people in this area. But then at the same time, you think to yourself, like they're literally just doing their job. It was just so clear that that is his position with Oliver Martin being able to clean. And there were a couple that weren't like clean catches. He had to go into traffic he, to make some. He catches. ran up and he was surrounded. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't just a matter of catching the ball and fair catching and you have no pressure on you. There were a couple where clearly he has the athleticism, the know-how and the skill to make those catches. 
And he was able to execute that every single time. There was not a single incident where the punt wasn't fielded properly. We're getting back to a baseline. We weren't at the baseline yet. So that is achieving beyond what we've achieved. To me, that's why that is such a valuable thing. But special teams looked good last night because they didn't have to do anything. Yes. So let's talk about Nebraska's offense. I'm going to let you start. I've got I've got some key words here. Okay. So Nebraska's offense was driving the ball. Okay. They had 11 drives, eight touchdowns. They had one turnover on downs, only one punt, which came late and again flipped the field completely. And then the other one, they ended in the, the game ended right, yeah. but they were in the red zone. They would have scored if there was an oh, extra yeah. or whatever. Matt now. Masker would have made sure yeah. they scored. Yeah. Red zone. They were five for five, excluding that final drive, and they were all touchdowns, which. An incredible improvement yep. on their season average. The team, just the the feel of the team. Okay, this was an important one for me. Ramir Johnson scored his first rushing touchdown, and the first guy to greet him on the sideline was Marquis Step yeah. to celebrate. Step didn't have a carry at that point, and probably knew he wasn't going to have one until you know the the blowout continued and got later into the game. But that's a dude that's that's just celebrating the success of of a his team, but b a guy that he's competing for, you know, in practice for touches. Sure. And so it's just great to see that, you know, with this this crowded backfield and a lot of positions that are crowded and there's a lot of competition going on. Seeing guys just supporting each other and enjoying the team's success. I thought that was cool. The other one, blocking, not just on the O-line. Like the O-line was a huge part of this, but wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends were all getting in on that. Big part of our pass protection. That's why we saw so many, you know, explosive plays on this triple option and deep pass plays was because of blocking downfield, no pressure, gave up zero sacks, had one quarterback hurry, which came on a fourth down. I haven't seen that at all this season. And then the motion, the the motion pre-snap in this game, I think they ran pre-snap motion on a, almost, if not over half of the plays. And on about a third of them, it was the triple option motion. And that was fun as hell to watch. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because they were executing it to a T. I was at the point where I just... I felt like I was on Space Mountain where I'm just in the dark, but I know I'm about to go on a fun ride. <laughs> right. Right. I know there's going to be twists and turns and loop-de-loops. And when, whenever anyone, when it, whether it was Manning or Toure or Betts or whoever was going into motion, you're th- you thought any one of these guys could run the option. Any one of these guys could get a jet sweep. It, it, it was just, you're right. It was so much fun to watch. And you... You lost track of trying to analyze it, and you were just there to have fun with it. Yeah, that's what I found as I was rewatching the game. And I would, I would have to like skip back because I would just lose track of what I was actually trying to to mark down. Just having fun watching this yeah. again and cheering like I was, you know, when it first happened. And oh, just yeah. getting caught up in it all over again. So, and that's just what happens when your coaches, you know, they they find an, an opponent's weakness, they create a, an, an excellent game plan, and then you execute that plan yeah you know i want to talk about a couple of things that you you mentioned the first one being marquee step ramir johnson wasn't the only person he congratulated when yant hit over the 100 yard mark he was the first one i mean he was out on the field hugging and congratulating yant yeah there's competition in the running back room but there's also this culture of group success in the running back room iron sharpens iron so if marquee step is pushing in practice and these guys are beating him out that tells you a lot about the type of talent that we have, the type of skill we have, and the mentality that these guys have. And so, yeah, that was absolutely great to see. The blocking, I don't care if everyone talks about it, but Lord Chancellor Brewington, Duke of Bloxborough, <laughs> is the 
is the most fun player to watch without the ball in his hand. On Adrian Martinez's first touchdown run when he lit up that edge defender and just put that guy on his ass and Martinez ran in clean. Yeah. Then I have another play that uh, that I, I really enjoyed. It was actually my favorite offensive play. Late in the third quarter, Smothers ran for a nine-yard gain. It was a run-pass option. He had Chancellor Brewington three yards in front as his safety valve. As soon as Smothers crossed the line of scrimmage, Brewington turned his head and started blocking. Now, first off, his blocking is, like I said, so much fun. But the reason I love this play is it is a clear example of how in sync the offense was against Northwestern. And I mean, he had his head back. He was ready to catch the ball. And as soon as Smothers took off, his hands were on the defender and Smothers got nine yards. I don't know how they found him when, you know, when they found him, he was a late addition to the team. He got in a lot of blocking schemes because he filled in for tight end. The dude has embraced it and looks like he's having the time of his life just pancaking people. Yeah. So I absolutely love watching the blocking. And when you see number 82 on the field on offense, keep an eye on him because he's going to go out and make a play and it's not going to be with the ball in his hands. Sometimes it is. Sometimes he scores touchdowns. But a lot of the time he's out there making sure the rest of his team succeeds. The other thing that I had written down, I wanted to look up participation on the offense because it felt like they were spreading the ball around, which is another headache for defensive coordinators. So here's the list of players that gained yards against Northwestern. Yant, Betts, Johnson, Martinez, Step, Morrison, Smothers, Masker, Winemaster, Jewett, Manning, Torre, Falk, Martin, Bett, Borkirkert, Nixon, Volkolek, and Lewer. Yeah, it's a long-ass list. That is a huge list. All of that was made possible by the play of the offensive line. You mentioned a little bit earlier the O-line was potentially going to be your MVP with Prohaska and with Newley on the left side of that line. It lit a fire within, within those guys, and that O-line played... They played like the players we expected them to be, and hopefully they can keep that intensity moving forward. Yeah, and that's why it's so hard to not get amped up about this is because, again, Northwestern is bad, but Nebraska's played bad teams and not been able to move the line. Yeah. And it's not like Northwestern's defensive line is the worst they've seen. They were they just, they just executed like they pushed guys around and created these running lanes. I don't know, it's just... I'm trying I'm trying not to get so geared up but then the more we talk about it the more the more excited I get so Yeah, I think the biggest key for me moving forward and and when you're trying to like calm your expectations is remember like we said at the beginning this is one game you need to be able to hold this intensity out you need to look at this and and gain confidence from it mm-hmm. but consider that you still have a lot to learn you still have areas to improve you now have to do this against even better competition in Michigan Right So it's saying hey look at the technique here's what we want to accomplish and it can be accomplished but don't let your foot off the gas. That, to me, is the biggest takeaway if you're looking for criticism. Yeah. Is this is just one team that's on a, on a downward trajectory for now, and Nebraska needs to continue to build off of this momentum. That's the next step in their progression. Yeah. The, and, and you've seen it all year. You know, you've seen them progressing yep. to this point. Finally, everything clicks. Now it's, can we do it consistently? Yeah. You know, can we repeat that performance? You, you actually have to give you credit on this, as you were talking a lot about how you know, the defense is showing up game after game after game. And I was concerned about the offense dragging the defense down. And then you brought up, you know, it's going to be just a matter of time before the offense has to go out and win a game. And it was kind of looking like it might turn into that kind of a game when Northwestern easily scored that touchdown. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt got beat on that deep ball into the end zone. And then they got beat on a long run for what could have been 14 points, but then the Mm -hmm. defense did step up. So early on, you kind of felt like, oh, this 
could turn into a shootout if the defense loses their focus or intensity. And this is that game where the offense is going to go out and have to win it for you. Yeah. Wasn't that game. Didn't wind up being that game. But it could be down the road. So if the offense needs to build upon that consistency because there may come a game where the defense can't put up for whatever reason. They're facing a high-powered offense in a Michigan and Ohio State. Man, if this is what turns into our consistency for the offense, boy, do we have some fun to look forward to. Yeah. So let's talk about the defense. Okay. You want to start You want to start this one since I kicked off the offense? So when it comes to the defense, I have three things written down, and two of them are criticisms or opportunities that the defense can improve upon. The first one is that defense needs to capitalize on takeaway opportunities. There were a couple of interceptions dropped against Northwestern that were right in guys' hands, but they wound up hitting the turf. Moving into Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa, and even Minnesota, that needs to change because those teams will create takeaways and they will capitalize on them. So Nebraska needs to make sure that when those opportunities pop up, that they are making the most on defense and they're raining those balls in. Now, one in Reimer's hands was a real outstretched attempt, but the other one was right in the bread basket and should have been caught. Not that it mattered in this game, but I'm not worried about what matters in this game. I'm worried about what matters moving forward, and those habits are built in game time. So I just want to see that improved. And then the secondary, I thought, kind of played a sloppy game early on. They got burned on some deep passes, some good route running by Northwestern. And then Andrew Clare ran through Nebraska early on, So tackling wasn't the prettiest against Northwestern early on in the game. Now that stuff all got shored up, it got wrapped up, and it got figured out. But against better opponents, you cannot get off to a slow start. You cannot be a lesser team or think that my athleticism is going to take care of it. Technique still matters. And if the offense gets out to a fast start, which is the offense's plan, the defense can't take some time off and let the other team back into the game. It wasn't an issue in this game. Once Northwestern turned the ball over, like we talked about, it took air out of their sails, and that was it. The defense took over the rest of the game from there and let the offense do their their job. The other thing I want to say is Heinrich, Reimer, Nelson, and Doman, I would put those four against any other linebacking core in the country. Yes. It's been, Without a doubt. Yeah. It's been fun to watch those guys. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't say that as a biased fan. I say that as someone who's watching football around the country. Those four, I think, make up one of the best linebacking cores. They're the they're the they're the core of that defense. They are, and but a lot of their success is predicated on you know what's going on on the defensive line, especially in the middle. You got you know we and we talked about Daniels and DeAndre Thomas. I think in the, the last episode and probably throughout the season, it's just anchoring that line. Garrett Nelson on the end has been really <gasps> really great, and then they trust their secondary. So yeah. even in a game like this, where each guy, I think you know CTB and 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 Newsom and. I think Williams, those guys got, they did get burned. They did give up some big plays, but, but the linebackers, yeah, like you said, they're the star of the show, but it, oh, it's all based on everybody else doing their job and, and trusting them to man up, you know, one in one-on-one situations. How annoying do you think it is for an opposing offensive coordinator to have guys like Garrett Nelson running downhill on you and then switch it up and now he's got his hands in the dirt and he's coming at you from an edge rush on a three-man front? Like, there was some stuff last night on defense where I was like, oh, they're prepping for some other games now. Now they're testing some stuff out because yeah. Garrett Nelson had some nice spin moves to get to the quarterback and to make hurry-ups, and it was only on a on a three-man front. Yeah, it's the versatility of these guys that's that's really most impressive, I think, and, yeah. and that, that's going to make it very difficult for other offenses to handle. You got to feel good, too, when you're up real late in the game and you're like, man, you know, we've got this game well in hand, and now they're putting in second and third string. And you don't want to lose the game you're pitching. 
right? Yep. Yep. You've you've got seven points on the board as a defense. Nebraska's offense is scoring at will, but you don't want that to be an excuse. And the way that guys like Damian Jackson came in and Noah Pola Gates was getting time in, and the way that these guys came in and just kept that intensity up, yeah, the first string came in and played a great game, but then when other guys got reps, they made the most of them, and they continued on in the footsteps of those first string guys. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of them you know, competing, right? They want to they put the best that they have to offer on the field and put that on tape, um, but it's also it's the team mentality. Yeah. Hey, our first team stepped up this game. They they only gave up seven. We're not going to blow it for them. Sure. When they throw us on the field with you know a quarter and a half left to play in this game, Northwestern's not walking away with any more points. I don't think they make pads big enough for Damian Jackson. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. They just they, it's a beast. He is. Yeah. He is the obvious hold that kept him from getting a tackle for a loss. Like just yeah. Anyways, yeah. I won't dive into that. If you're a CTB fan club, I'm a Damian Jackson fan club. That's fair. Yeah. 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 I'd be second in line there. So cool. What other thoughts do you have on the defense? You know, I didn't really have much more to add to that. It was, it really was. It was just that energy dip that, you know, that you could feel. And then, and the way they responded was, I think, really great. And Frost said it at halftime that yeah. he wasn't happy with it. And then they came out in the second half and again, they held them to seven points. So they clearly came out with a vendetta and that whole defense, like you were saying, came out to say, we are going to pitch a shutout the rest of this game. They're not putting another point on the board. Yeah. I'm 56 to nothing would have been pretty. We'll take 56 to 7. But if it was 56 to nothing, we wouldn't have started with a disclaimer of it was just one game. <laughs> right. All right. So, Drew, who is your MVP of Nebraska Northwestern? Okay. So, I chose, I probably, I might have gone with the most obvious with uh, Jack Heziant. Okay. He had 13 rushes, 127 yards as a 9.8 average, showed great vision throughout the game, really smooth moves, shedding tackles, and then... And then he has an arm that's stiffer than a 13-year-old boy who discovers Cinemax. <laughs> like, he, was, he was great. Ramir Johnson, everybody that was running the ball, you know, including Ramir Johnson, had a great game. Yeah. Right, and was, our, our season average increased on yards per, or yard, yeah, yards per carry. But again, with an MVP, I'm looking for somebody who, who just did something special. And watching, watching Yant run this game was, it felt special. Yeah. So... That's why I went with him. But it, you know, when looking at like trying to find like the guy that was the MVP, you know, afterwards I always go back just to make sure. It's like you know, I knew Yant was my guy just from watching the game. But then I like to go back and look at the stats and see you know who else who else kind of popped. And you talked about the way they spread the ball around, and that's when I realized like yeah, like there's a ton of guys. Like yeah. I don't think anybody had more than two or three catches in this game because it just spread it around. Mm-hmm. So an incredible offense offensive performance as a whole but yeah yant really popped on his place sure so i went with the way less obvious mvps of course and i mentioned the first one already who was oliver martin my second one was chancellor brewington so i absolutely love the lord chancellor lord chancellor brewington duke of Bloxboro. (laughs) the way that he continues to fight for his team makes him a valuable player yeah i mentioned it before the first touchdown that adrian had where he had a beautiful block if you don't recall seeing the block because you were following Adrian. Go back and watch that. It's all over social media. It's going to be all over the highlight reels. It's going to be his player introduction to Memorial Stadium because he just puts the dude on his back in the in the block. It's so great. And then, yeah, look for those plays with 82 out front as a lead blocker because not only is he prepared to take the pass or to get the ball and to run with it, he's also prepared to make the block downfield for his team to succeed. He's my most valuable player. Him and Oliver Martin, they, they share co-MVPs this week. All in all, it was just one game, but it was one like a hell of a great game. It was so much fun. 
Yeah, I haven't stopped smiling since. So Nebraska wins against Northwestern, 56-7. to So as we move away from the Northwestern game, and before we get into Michigan, we're on to our second beer of the episode from Divot's Brewery. We are drinking Herman the German Hefeweizen, and in honor of Newley, who had an excellent game uh, on the left side of the line. Now, this beer comes in at 5.05 ABV. It's a German-style Hefeweizen made with barley, American white wheat, and German noble hops. Drew, can you tell us a little bit of the flavor profile you're getting off of this beer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The flavor comes in with really strong, sweet banana flavors, um, and then that's complemented by a lot of that clove on the nose, which is really typical of a Hefeweizen. Yeah, I happen to be a big fan of this beer and this beer style. The banana that we're getting on this one reminds me a lot of banana Laffy Taffy. It's kind of a candied banana and less so much a grassy or an earthy banana that you might get if you're just eating a banana by itself. And then, yeah, that clove on the nose is really there. It's really pleasant. It's a very nice drinking experience. Hefeweizens can kind of run the gambit of being further away from that banana and sometimes even dipping into a bubble gum, or they can lean heavily into that banana, but that clove, that spice is always present. And I wanted to talk a little bit about just what Hefeweizen really means. So Hefe means yeast in German and Weizen means wheat. So traditionally, a Hefeweizen refers to an unfiltered wheat beer with yeast in it. And this one here has a little cloud to it. It is an unfiltered beer itself. Now, they can also be highly carbonated and poor cloudy. That comes from the higher protein contained in wheat malt, as well as from the type of yeast strain that's used. The Hefeweizen came to America with the wave of German immigrants in the 19th century. The style is a staple for a great many American craft breweries today, where it's viewed as a lighter option that complements their overall portfolios. American Hefeweizens differ a little bit from their Bavarian counterparts in that they're largely brewed with the same yeast strains that are used to brew pale ales and stouts. Now, if I were to guess, Drew, I don't think that this is brewed with American strains of yeast. This has a lot of that banana flavor that you would expect from a classical flavor profile. So I'm guessing this is brewed it, with a Bavarian yeast. Yeah, it almost has to. And, and with a lot of these classical styles, would you know what brewers tend to do is try to recreate you know the traditional you know what you would expect they're trying to create an honest beer i guess you could call it without varying beer, beer makes me pretty honest yeah. <laughs> yeah it does it opens us up we're going to get pretty honest about uh, our thoughts on michigan here in a minute <laughs> i think but yeah this is you know with 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 pilsners and hefeweizens and and these again these just traditional beers from around the world that's what you're going to find. You're going to find brewers who are just trying to perfect a craft. And so they don't try to vary too far off the path, but they still want to make it unique and they want to make it their own. So you're going to find differences, you know, there, amongst beers. There's a reason entire festivals take place around these beers mm-hmm. because these beers are special. They're delicious. They're widely loved by these groups of people. And yeah, that's why these brewers like to recreate them is these are the beers that change the world. And, and these are old world beers that have lasted longer than the people who've made them for a very obvious reason. One thing that any creative person knows is that your creativity really thrives when limitations are set. And with German beers especially, your limitations are set because they don't allow all the additives and and adjuncts and stuff. So you're working with very particular ingredients, but you're still trying to stand out inside of those boundaries. And so it's a challenge. Yeah. But a Hefeweizen is a really good place to start working your taste buds, to start trying to identify those flavors in beer because they are very specific flavor profiles. You can drink a Hef and know you're drinking a Hef. With a Hefeweizen, you can pick out the banana, the clove, 
the sweet candy, those types of flavor profiles. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who's new to craft beer, but you like a lot of those flavors, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to get introduced and then ask the bartender at the brewery or the brewmasters if you're able to converse with them like, hey, I liked the Hef. Where can I go from here? Yeah. It's a really good introductory beer. And this one hits the flavor profile right on the head. Cool. Uh, yeah, I like that assessment. Before we move on to Michigan, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. October 1st marked the beginning of the Guild's official Drink Local campaign. So during the month of October, we ask you to raise a glass and do your best to drink only local craft beer. Drew, shall we oath? Let's do it. All right. Are we doing this together? Are we yeah. reading? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll read it. Okay. And then uh, you just abide by it. I'll, I'll hand over my heart. Uh, hand over your beer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's all raise a glass. In order to support the Nebraska craft brewing industry and the benefits breweries provide our state through their wonderful beers and ciders, we vow to drink local. We pledge that during the 31 days and nights of October, only independent Nebraska craft beers and ciders shall be consumed. Let's cheers to that. Cheers. Go out and support your local breweries in Nebraska. When you're local to a different community, support those breweries. It's just so important to support local because not only are you drinking great beer with great products, you're supporting the local economies, you're supporting small business, you're keeping those smaller downtowns and those smaller areas thriving. I mean, is there a better way to support anything than by drinking beer? I don't think so. It supports my mood. It's how I support Nebraska (laughs) is by drinking beer. Like during Nebraska games, I'm supporting the Huskers by drinking beer. Like, yes, no, and it, it does. It builds. It's all about community, and we've we've discovered that again as we open up as we open up beers and as we open up our our minds to the history of these breweries in Nebraska and what they stand for. We find out that yeah, it is. It's a hundred percent about community and, and building a better Nebraska. Yeah. So now it's time to get into the Michigan Wolverines, and I'm going to hit you with just the facts, and then we'll dive in. So the Nebraska Cornhuskers take on the Michigan Wolverines on Saturday, October 9th at 6.30 p.m. on ABC. The game marks the first time since 2012 that Nebraska will host Michigan at home, and they say the Big Ten crossover game schedules are unfair. Michigan, led by Jim Harbaugh, is 5-0 on the season after this week's 38-17 win over Wisconsin. Nebraska, led by Scott Frost, is sitting at 3-3 three three on the season after this week's 56-7 win over Northwestern. The spread is currently undefined, so now it's time for us to pontificate. Drew, what do you think the spread's going to be for this game? I think it's going to be in favor of Michigan. I agree. Um, I was way off on my Northwestern prediction because I assumed that people were going to be a little lower on Nebraska than they were. Yeah. And so I'm going to inflate it a little bit. I'm going to put, I'm going to say Michigan. I think they're going to be high on them. And I'm going to say that they get a 12 and a half point spread. 12 and a half yep. point spread. Yep. They're undefeated. And again, Nebraska looked good, but it was Northwestern. And I think people are going to be high on Michigan, especially You're looking high. at <laughs> 12 and a half points. <laughs> they, they just, I think it's because they just beat down Wisconsin. And that, I think that score was a lot a greater margin than the game actually indicated but i think people just look at that i don't think they actually like dive into the game quite as much yeah and so i think that people are gonna just believe michigan is gonna own nebraska nebraska just scored 56 points on northwestern but it's on northwestern okay again i i went the wrong direction against northwestern in my prediction on the spread and so i'm just just i might be over the wrong direction (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think like 
four and a half, five and mm. a half. No, really? Michigan. Yeah. Okay. I don't think Nebraska is going to be that big of a dog because you got to remember Nebraska is going to get some points for being the home team. They'll get about three points. For yeah, they'll get three yeah. points for that. They're coming off a big win. Their defense is playing out of their mind, and they've got a better offense than Michigan, according to the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say somewhere in the four and a half, five and a half range. Okay. By the time the dust settles, we'll find out. We will find out. This is why I don't bet on games. Yeah. Because I'm a also idiot last week. Do you remember comes- when you asked, "How's Nebraska going <laughs> to score 39 points?" <laughs> <laughs> they almost scored 39 in the first half. That's true. They really did. <laughs> So, Michigan special teams. Drew, what are you thinking about the Michigan special teams going into this game? Or Nebraska's special teams going up against Michigan? Well, so, okay, looking at Michigan, special teams for them is actually a, a strong point there. Yeah. And it's and it's not just one area. I mean, it is an all-around area of strength for them when it comes to kicking, when it comes to returning. One of the one of the numbers that I'm looking at is, and that we've looked at a lot in the past, is is on kickoffs for touchbacks. And Michigan has 31 touchbacks this year. They've only got they've only given up four returns, and on those returns, they've only given up about 7.75 yards on average. And so you're not going to gain a lot from them on those kickoffs. And then also looking at Jake Moody, their kicker, who's who's putting those balls in the end zone. He's also handling their field goals this year. He is eight of nine on his field goals, 23 of 23 on point after touchdowns, and. He had a rough year last year, so he has responded in a big way for Michigan. Gives us hope that and kickers can respond in big ways. Yeah, right? He might be the, the Big Ten kicker of the year this year Good after struggling last year. So, I agree with both those sentiments, actually. I have those both written down about their touchback percentage um, as well as having a reliable kicker. They've got a great punter as well, putting over 40 yards per punt. And they're dangerous on punt returns. Yeah. And we know that Nebraska's been exploited. It's cost us a game. Nebraska's going to have to be sound when it comes to their kick coverage because Michigan has the guys to make big plays and flip the field even beyond the special teams. So that's where I sit. I think we're actually really well in line on special teams that we've got to be careful and look out for Michigan because they've got a solid squad there. Yeah, that's my that's kind of what I put down for my for my feelies as opposed to my for realies. It's just do your job when you're called upon and tr- don't try to do anything special. Yeah, you will not beat Michigan in terms of your production on special teams. Right. But you can beat yourself, as we know. So just get out of the way. Yeah. So what do you think about Michigan's defense up against Nebraska's offense? How do you feel about that? For this one, I've, I've got explosions and efficiencies. Those are my, those are my two words here. So sure. Nebraska's offense, when we think about it, we think about, or at least I do, I think about the big plays. Yeah. Because they, it feels like they've got a ton of them, right? And so I was looking, I was digging into those numbers. And on the seasons, they've run 450 plays, 75 plays per game, which is quite a few. They have 35 plays of 20 yards or more, and an average of almost six plays of 20 yards per game. Against Northwestern, they only had seven, which is pretty close to their season average. Meanwhile, Michigan's defense has only given up 13 of those plays total in the five games this season, so they don't give up a lot of the explosive plays. Yeah. Looking at those numbers, though, you you see that even when Nebraska's offensive line was bad and the offense was just dysfunctional, They were still going for six or seven big plays per game. They didn't have any more against Northwestern than average, but the the difference is that they they capitalized on those those drives. They were more consistent, and they scored points when they got into the red zone. That makes me realize, okay, explosive plays for this team is not what's going to win them the game. It's It's an important part of the offense, but it's the efficiency 
that's going to help them win these these games against teams like Michigan. And so looking at efficiency numbers, then we see that their their points per play, which is the total points scored divided by the total number of plays, their season average for the offense, excluding Fordham, they're sitting at .384, which is fine. It's not great. It's like average on the nation. Against Northwestern, their points per play were at .757. Wow. Which is incredible. Yeah. So if, if you could keep that average up over the course of a season, right now they'd be ranked number three in the nation. Ooh. And so you can see there, like, if our offense can just be efficient, not even, they don't, I don't think they have to stay at that level that they had against Northwestern. And I obviously I don't expect them to, especially as they go against stuff for competition. But if they can just play a sound game, eliminate the penalties, again, stay consistent, stay efficient, score points when you're given those opportunities, capitalize on your explosive plays, that's when you're going to see them put up 30-plus points a game. Sure. So when you talk about efficiency, I also want to see aggressiveness. I want to be efficient, but I also want to be aggressive. I want to pound and push and move that line of scrimmage away as opposed to letting that collapse on you because Michigan has that boundary speed. They've got linebackers and guys like Josh Ross who can make the play. They've got pass rushers in Aiden Hutchinson who can get in the backfield. He's got five and a half sacks already on the year. He's got six tackles for a loss. So you can't dick around on that offensive line and on that line of scrimmage. You need to get beyond that because that's where you can start to expose that defense and get them to a point to where they're playing from behind. I know Aiden Hutchinson is kind of the guy that they've leaned on, especially as their pass rusher. Against Wisconsin, it was much more of that team effort yeah. from them. And so you know that they, they can produce on all levels and they can find they can find guys at different levels to really contribute and be the be the statistical monsters or the, the guys that are carrying this team where they're not so reliant on just, you know, one or two standouts. You know, one of the things that, that, that I've looked at with Michigan is, is who they played offensively this year, and it's not looking good. Like, they, don't, they haven't had a, a, a real great offense. And so if, if Nebraska's clicking, if we see the same offense that, that Nebraska put on the field against Northwestern, it is hands down by far and away the best offense that Michigan will have faced this year. And even if they're not perfect, even if they're playing kind of poor, like, you know, they're still making mistakes, but, you know, they're still scoring and, and it's clunky but you know not you know what i mean yeah i get what you're saying yeah you know what i'm saying yeah I, you know i have that written down in my notes too that adrian's the best quarterback this defense will have seen thus far mm-hmm. and if the offensive line shows what they were capable against north if they show that against michigan then this is going to be one hell of a ball game if nebraska comes out with confidence against that sometimes flat defense that michigan will show they could take advantage early one of the big keys that I have for Nebraska's offense against Michigan's defense is to exploit them on third down. Nebraska did a great job getting ahead early on downs. They were getting great yardage on first and second, so their third downs, they could take shots on second down and then just run the ball on a short third and one or third and two or third and four, or whatever it happened to be against Northwestern. Michigan is holding their opponents, though, to a 35% conversion rate on the year on third down. Nebraska's converting 47%. And so whoever wins on that third down battle might walk away with the game here. Yeah, and to, and to that point, uh, you know, we, we talked about Michigan's edge rushers being really great and they can get after a quarterback. But I think if there's a weakness on the line, it's up the middle. Wisconsin didn't do great running the ball, but they did find some success there, you know, between the tackles. And 
Nebraska, if they can keep themselves in favorable positions, especially on third down, if you're looking at third and short, and their offense is having some success controlling the line, I think that it, with a guy like Yant, you know, just and and running these these triple option type plays where you're keeping the rest of Michigan's defense on their toes, I think we can find some success there on third down up the middle as long as it's that short yardage game. Yeah. So let's move into talking about Nebraska's defense versus Michigan's offense. And this, I think, is going to be a fun conversation because I don't know what Michigan's offensive identity is. After having watched all their games, I still don't get it. I don't think that they know either. One of the questions going into their season was who their quarterback was going to be. And they it's it's McNamara, right? Like, that's their starter, but they still rotate in McCarthy on some plays. Yeah. Um, some people say that's to keep a five-star backup happy, you know, so he doesn't transfer. Um, but maybe they're just looking for, like, a little wrinkle here and there just to kind of catch fire where they can. But they've run the ball. Yeah. Uh, ton like to a point where Harbaugh is being criticized for not throwing enough yeah, and not leaning the, on his that's quarterbacks the first thing I have too. 70 percent of the time this season yeah they're running the football yeah and and they didn't part of that is because they've played with the lead their entire season not once not for a single second have they trailed in a game this season and so they've been able to run the ball because that's just kind of the way the game flow has gone you saw them pass the ball a lot more against Wisconsin but again it's you know I, yeah I don't know what they're I don't know what they want to do I don't I don't feel like again that they know exactly or they they know but they haven't been able to execute it they haven't been in those situations where they can just operate within their their system I think that their biggest identity is just they want to control the clock they want to be the team with the ball in their hand and so they're going to pound out hard yards they've got a trio of running backs in quorum haskins and edwards that have put up over a thousand yards the three of them in in those five games and if nebraska wants to win this game from a defensive side they have to tackle better than they did against northwestern where andrew claire ran through them like a wrecking ball you got to bring these running backs down and force mcnamara to pass the ball you've got to force michigan to throw incomplete passes and stop the clocks so that your offense can get on the field. Because the big thing that Michigan likes to do, and this is this is the most identity I can find from them, is they like to wear you down and then score in the fourth quarter. It's the most boring offense. I mean, I thought Wisconsin and Iowa ran boring offenses. The 2021 Jim Harbaugh offense is just wait. Like, that's what his offense is. Mm-hmm. So... You need to get Michigan off the field early. Don't let them wear down your defense because they average 10 points in the fourth quarter with 14 or more points in three games already this year, including 18 against Wisconsin. Nebraska's defense has to play all four quarters and be more aggressive than they were against Northwestern early on in the game and make sure that Nebraska's offense is getting out to an early lead, an early lead, and that Michigan has to play from behind. Because like you said, they haven't been there yet. And so that pressure all needs to be on Cade McNamara, and you need to make him win the game for Michigan. That is the secret sauce right there for Nebraska's defense. It's just putting all that pressure on a quarterback who hasn't been there yet. Yeah, he has not had any pressure this year at all. I think they've given up one sack. Their third-string quarterback was the guy that threw an interception in garbage time against yep. Wisconsin. That was the first turnover they had all year. They just haven't had a ton of pressure. So, like, you know, some of that, again, is just from having to run the ball so much. There's not been a ton of opportunities for other defenses to generate pressure against these guys. But in situations where they are passing, even then, they're, you know, nobody's getting after them. So 
Nebraska will have to step up in that department. And that's a that's a part of Nebraska's defense that we haven't seen a lot of, but I think it's come on later. Sure. You know, like as we've progressed into this season, I think I think Nebraska's defense has figured out how to get after quarterbacks. I think Nebraska actually has more success getting into the backfield on runs than they do in pass plays. You see that. I mean, Northwestern was a great evidence of that when they were in the goal line situation and Doman and Thomas got back there for that that tackle for loss that turned into a fumble. I mean, that's a credit to that defensive line and the and the skilled play calling that Shenander's putting out there. But if they want to win against Michigan, that's going to have to keep up. Yeah. Because they're running the ball so often, they're not throwing the ball, they're not airing it out, they're not forcing McNamara to win the game for them. So if Nebraska can go out, force them to at least throw the ball, air it out, and get off the field early, they can give the offense the ball more frequently and they can put Michigan in a situation where they just haven't been before. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the secondary responds in this game because if if Nebraska's defense can shut down Michigan's run the way that Wisconsin did effectively, yeah, you know that puts a lot of pressure on our secondary. And those guys, like we said, we they got burned a couple of plays, and so with this defensive mentality and the way that they respond to adversity, I would think that they would come out looking to really shut things down. And sure. so, yeah, if we can force McNamara to, to make plays with his arm, but then also our secondary is just looking for that ball and looking for a way to change the game and make up for some of the play that, that we saw against Northwestern, that might, you know, create a create a nice little uh, a little situation for us. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm trying again not to get too excited you know based on what we saw last week but as good as Michigan has looked I do think that there are situations that they have not been in that Nebraska can put them in and when you have that sort of mystery and that unknown you know anything can happen but they're a good team they should not be underestimated and we can't get too high on Northwestern right but we also should not stop predicting a 2025 national championship (laughs) for this team so just it's all about keeping it in perspective it's all about balance so now it's time for this week's sportsman sip before we reveal our predictions we'd like to raise a glass to our opponents and sample a beer local to their university this is typically a gesture of respect and seeing as how we have none for michigan after they refused to throw down in 1997 we're going to feature a second beer local to northwestern what can we say we really respect pat fitzgerald what are we drinking drew We are drinking Orange Door Double Dry Hopped IPA from Sketchbook Brewing Company in Evanston, Illinois. We could describe Sketchbook for you, but their website does the perfect job for us. It states, Sketchbook creates great beer in order to bring relaxation and pleasure into a sometimes weary world. Our company is working hard to act right, paying a living wage with benefits to our team, supporting progressive causes, collaborating with peers, and showing respect to everyone who walks through the door. Sketchbook spends a lot of time at hardware stores. We worship farmers. We would not be here without the loyal support of our customers. We hope to stay goofy and serene and just big enough to survive. So, Drew, what are your thoughts on Orange Door by Sketchbook Brewing out of Evanston, Illinois? You know, I'm really impressed by the freshness of the hops. The The orange that comes through is incredible, especially through the taste. And then there's that pine. It's almost... You not to take it too far, but you know everybody knows what pine saw smells like. Yeah, and so yeah, when you're thinking about that sort of pine coming through in a flavor, that's that's what that reminds me of. But this is such a great big hoppy beer. If you love hops, yeah. If you're a hop fan, if you're an IPA fan, 
and more of that West Coast style IPA as opposed to the New England style IPA, right, where it's more focused on the tropical, this balances the orange, the citrus with that piney note that the hop's going to bring to the table. It's a very good example of a double dry hopped IPA. For me, the orange isn't so much like taking a bite out of an orange. It has more of that orange smell that's left on your fingers after you've hand peeled an orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, this is a good example of, um, yeah, finding those those two big flavor profiles and aroma profiles that you find in hops, which are the citrus and the, the pine. This is a great example of those two worlds kind of coming together and colliding and complementing each other. So if, if you're a fan of both, it's a great beer for you. If you're a fan of the one or the other, I think it can also be a great beer because it shows how it profiles, you know, one, but then how they can complement. Thanks, right. thanks, Sketchbook, for sharing with us. And I'm glad we got to try another another beer from Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Michigan. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, sorry. Michigan yeah. makes Michigan makes incredible beer. They do make the incredible way. beer. No knock on them. No yeah. knock on their brewing industry. Absolutely. So let's move into our Michigan game predictions. Drew, I'm going to let you start. Your too early prediction when we first covered Michigan uh, in our in our preview episodes was 33-28 with Nebraska taking the upset. So let's hear your prediction. Okay, I've learned I've learned from past mistakes. I've tried to make this a little shorter, a little sweeter because I know we're you know now on our third beer here and trying to read is difficult so here we go all right jim harbaugh better pack an extra pair of khakis for this week's trip to lincoln the defense has been clicking all season and the offense finally put together a worthy performance under scott frost sure it was against the northwestern mild cats but that is exactly what nebraska should do against an inferior opponent the michigan wolverines are anything but inferior they're also anything but tested five games into their season Nebraska has taken two shots at ranked opponents already and come up just shy on both occasions. You know what they say, the third time's a charm. The third time is also at home, where Nebraska has played much better on the season. Memorial Stadium will be absolutely rocking under the lights, and the defense will feed off of that energy. While they won't generate much in terms of a pass rush, the bend-but-don't-break spirit will prove successful yet again. Michigan's rush offense will go for under 100 yards, and the quarterback combo of McNamara and McCarthy will struggle to find guys open deep. The offense likely won't repeat their performance against Northwestern, at least not to near perfection, but they found confidence and a lineup in the trenches that works. Spin the wheel on who gets the most touches amongst running backs and bet on bets to drop some more jaws. Touré only catches three in this one, but at least one goes for over 50 yards, and he's certain to be celebrating in the end zone. Next Saturday, Husker Nation goes to bed with a winning record and dreams of bowl season, leaving Big Blue feeling blue. Nebraska 33, Michigan 28. Sticking to my guns. Didn't change it at all. Didn't change it at all. I even almost went with a big in, a big in, a big in margin. Well, almost went with a big in. <laughs> <laughs> almost went with a bigger margin of victory there. Yeah. To be honest, but that's that's just me not being able to rein in my own confidence and I hope that the players feel that too just living on that confidence and coming into this game understanding, yeah, we can we can hang with probably what's a top 10 team. Yep. An undefeated team. Yep. But they got to come here. They got to play against us in our own place. And we are riding a high. So don't take it for granted, but also don't, you know, don't lose that energy. Sure. 
So I feel good. I feel good about this one, at least as far as it being an enjoyable game. Okay. So fucking pop our balloon, piss on our parade. Let's do it. My too early prediction for Nebraska, Michigan was 37, 27, Michigan walking away with the win. So wrong. Before I go into my prediction, I have a bit of a precursor. Okay. In some respect, this is the battle of the underachievers. Harbaugh hasn't beat Ohio State in his first six years at Michigan. Scott Frost hasn't threatened for the West, let alone made a bowl game in his first three years at Nebraska. The expectations are high for both coaches, and time is running out for either coach to achieve their desired results. Who gets to walk away hearing he finally turned this thing around, and who has to deal with same shit, different day? So here's my prediction. I formatted this like a text message to Coach Harbaugh. Do you have his number? Yes. So here's here's my okay. text to Coach Harbaugh. Okay. Hey, John, can you come get your brother Jim? He's curled up in the fetal position by a trough urinal in the men's room under the North Stadium. For some reason, he's wearing cleats and keeps kicking us in the shins when we try to help. Thanks, the Memorial Stadium maintenance crew. P.S. 2419 Nebraska. Let's fucking win this Boom. one, baby. Let's win this wow. one, baby. Both of us All have right. five-point margins. Nebraska's going to pull off the upset against a top 10 team at home. Yeah. For the first time in a goddamn long time. Yeah. I have faith in this team. I know it was only one game, but it's been building upon itself. And the one thing we've been saying game after game after game is, when is this intensity going to drop? And it hasn't. It's built. So I believe in the forward momentum. It's not so much about what happened against Northwestern. It's what happened against Fordham, Buffalo, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Northwestern. We now have five games worth of evidence that's saying this team is building forward momentum. They're showing what they can do, and they're getting better every week. Most teams improve from week one to week two, and that's who they are, not Nebraska. Nebraska has showed us that they can get better week after week and fix the things that are plaguing them week after week, and I think when Michigan comes to town, we're going to bitch slap Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) I hope so. They really have been a very forward progressing. You can look at each and every game. Like, every single game has been one step forward. The next step is putting two solid games together. Yep. Being consistent. And so, this is an incredible challenge. Like, this is a great, and a great opportunity, right? We always look at adversity as, as opportunity an opportunity to do better and so i yeah i'm excited i think this will be a fun game or like regardless of the out game i do expect it to be close yeah i do too you know whoever whoever no one's gonna run away with this game i think this is a grinder and and if anybody runs away with it it'll be nebraska wow (laughs) mr 12 and a half (laughs) points for michigan yeah no i yeah i don't know that's not true i don't that's (laughs) That's just the beer talking. All right. Before we get carried away, let's let's wrap this thing up. But before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season-long prize package, including a game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with your Michigan-Nebraska score prediction. 
Remember, only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the grand prize away. Just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. That does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part, drink local beer, wherever you are. You can find more information on Divots Brewery by visiting divotsbrewery.com. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we sample our first Omaha brewery with Farnham House, react to the Michigan game, which we will probably win, and preview Minnesota. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.